Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. morning. You guys are, you're talking, you got to sit down. I sat down, it's time for you to sit down. Welcome, so glad you're here on such a gorgeous day in the spring. How many of you took advantage of the sun and went for a walk? Anybody? Yeah, I got that. How many of you were smart and mowed your lawn? Okay, not many of us. I did, barely. I was like, Oh, really? Should I? I'm glad I did. It's over. Weeks, weeks. We won't see the sun again. But I'm just glad it was sunny. It was a great thing. Uh, so thankful that uh, you're here and really excited about what God did last weekend with our Easter service. Today, I get to share God's word from a particular text in Luke as we start a series on women in the writings of Luke. And what I want to do is I want to take a look at a, just a single a woman very pivotal in the life of Jesus. But I want to do it by asking a series of questions. In fact, I just have a, a rolling set of questions that I want to ask you today as we look at the text. And then I don't have a big idea. I have a big question, all right? And so it's something I want you to consider, and hopefully it'll just kind of seep into your soul the more I ask roundabout questions that get to the core of it. And the first question is this. Do you believe God is still at work in the world today? Yeah, only Inus is convinced. Um, let me start over. Do you believe that God is still at work in the world today? Yes. Absolutely. All right, all right. Uh, we'll get there. It's only the 11 o'clock service. I believe in what's called a sovereign God. That means God is large and in charge and he has plans. And he is working those plans out to completion according to his glory. And... He wants to invite you and me in on that journey. God has a master and masterful, we might add, plan. Um, you know, the reality is for you and me is that we live in our world today. And so maybe a, a deeper question is, do you believe that he's always at work around you? Do you believe that that same God running the universe has this master plan is always at work around you? Are you aware of the work that God is doing? Throughout the Bible, we see God moving towards people, entering into a relationship with them, taking the initiative to step out in faith 
you know, people, these people, and say yes. I mean, when you read the people of the Bible, I mean, I read the Bible every year, and I come up to people like Noah, and um, God invites him on a journey. But before he invites him on a journey, he invites him into a relationship with him. I read about guys like Abraham, who does incredible things, travels a great distance, follows God, has several miraculous moments, but before he does that, God invites him into a relationship. And on and on, and Moses and Deborah and Ruth and all the people that you see in the Bible, they were not extraordinary people until God showed up. They're just everyday people like you and me. I mean, they had a backstory just like you. But when God showed up, it became the foreground. Everything was important now because God showed up. Do you believe that God is at work around you? And I, I would hope the answer would be yes. Now, you're not going to see it in the same way that they did. Uh, but you're going to see it through your eyes and your experience and your story. And then, most importantly, do you believe that God wants to invite you to join him in his work? Do you believe that that big sovereign God who's doing a big work in the world, doing a work around you, wants to actually invite you on the journey of that work? That's when the room gets a little quiet. Because it's easy for you to say, James, you're a pastor. You know, this is your job. Me, I'm a fill in the blank. I'm not a pastor. Maybe it's because uh, of your profession or your age or your style of personality. It's like I can understand how God could use but... And then you look in the mirror. I just want to invite you today with this big question, this big idea. What would it look like to live every day believing God wants you to do something big and that he wants to invite you to join him in his plans? And I see that's the biggest question we could ask. That there is this big God, but he's a personal God doing great work, but he's so close to you that he wants to whisper in your ear. He wants to cause you to see something. He wants your heart to be moved by something. And then he wants to say, hey, hey, come take a look at what I'm doing. In fact, I want you to be a part of it. Now, if you kind of shut down immediately, as a lot of us do as followers of Christ, we're Christians, we're church people, we're like, well, that, that's, you know, that's great for missionaries and pastors and people like that. But as you evaluate your own life, you might disconnect from that. Um, I would just encourage you. I, and I don't do this every day. I wish I could say I did, but I don't. I'd be lying if I said I did. To wake up every morning, and either before you get out of bed or just as you get your legs over the bed, you just say something like this, God, you're large and in charge. You're sovereign. And you're doing stuff in the world. I want to see it. I want to hear it. I want to feel it. I want, to, I want to partner with you. I'm not asking you to partner with me. <laughs> there aren't two pages we need to get on. You have a page. I want to get on your page. I want to partner with you and I want to do something big, God. Cause me to see it. Open my eyes that I can see it. Cause me to hear it. Open my ears to hear the whispers of your spirit who's always at work. And open my heart to the people around me that you are already working in. And cause me to intersect with all that. Because at the end of the day, you'll hit your bed on the pillow and how much of your day was focused on his plan and his will. Now, I know that sounds pretty big for a lot of us because that sounds churchy. Um, sounds like real Bible stuff and, and you're just a normal person. You're 2,000 years removed from when the Bible was closed. 
But do you really believe that that same God of the Bible is active today? I want to take us to uh, the life of a lady, a young lady at this point in the story, who had God on our ends totally mess up her life and her plans, completely turn everything around. And her name was Mary. There's a number of Marys in the Bible, so let me get specific. The mother of God, okay? <laughs> the mother of Jesus, okay? The one who bore the Messiah in her own womb. That Mary, who history would tell us, culture would tell us, she was a young lady. She was a virgin. She was probably 12, 13, 14 years old. Just a young lady who had plans. Mm, she had plans. She was getting married. Uh, she was planning her marriage. She had a, a beau. She had a husband engaged, betrothed. They would call it, but they weren't yet consummated in their marriage. And all the plans and everything was going towards that. You know, she had a family. He had a family. Everything was just like, this is going to be it. This is, this is how life was lived in the little village of Nazareth and all around Israel at the time. And God interrupted and actually blew those plans out of the water with another plan. You know the story, and no, it's not Christmas. We're not preaching because of that. <laughs> it's the story of a young lady who just had faith that God encountered, that encountered God, and there was an incredible encounter with Jesus that we're still affected by even today. Um, the angel Gabriel, you know the story, visited Mary, told her she was going to have the Messiah, and she, of course... <laughs> protested a little bit. It's like, ah, I haven't been with a man yet, okay? None of that makes any sense. Let me read uh, in chapter 1 of Luke, verses 34 to 38. But again, put yourself in her shoes, in her sandals, as it were. She's just a young gal, and all of a sudden, God shows up with a plan and invites her on the journey. It says here, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's just a young gal. Never been with a man yet. She's not even married yet. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was also called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Would you just read that out loud with me? For nothing will be impossible with God. Some of you said it, but you don't quite absorb it because you've come in here with something that's impossible, seemingly impossible. You know it's impossible because it's been years. It's maybe been decades. And maybe you've prayed or your prayers have gotten weak or you've just abandoned your prayers because it seemingly isn't going to happen it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is the answer. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. Now we're going to look into her response in a little bit. But I just want to think about this. Imagine her encounter. Here she is going about her everyday life. Uh, if you go to Israel today, you go to Nazareth. Maybe, maybe, maybe you could go down to the place where it was her home. Maybe you could go to the area. There's a church built over where maybe she went to a well to gather water. But somewhere in that area, she's doing her daily chores, her regular rhythm and routine. Stuff like we do. 
We just do it, you know, unless the sun shines. Then we change routines, all right, because it's going to rain again, baby. And that God who brings the rain and the snow and all that in between is doing a work. And somehow that work of God intersects with you. How would you respond to that? Her response was just humility and submission. Even though it's absolutely absurd. It makes no sense. But somehow Mary believes. And in believing, she acts and she takes a step of faith and acts upon that belief. And you and I are here in church 2,000 years later because of that. We're worshiping Jesus on a Sunday gathered in his name. Mary believed God. Even though it was impossible, God was bigger than the impossible. Mary was young. She was poor. She was female. In that culture, in that day, all reasons why God wouldn't use her. She wasn't high on the scale of importance. She wasn't a priest or priestess. She wasn't a prophet or prophetess. She wasn't important to the community. She was just a young gal. There were, there were two gals here this morning. I was looking at 13 and 14 years old. Just cute little gals. Like, imagine. They're like, no. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's what it'd be like. Imagine. You just got your life all ahead of you and God shows up and interrupts that. Now, I don't know about you and your life and what you're thinking and your abilities or your opportunities or your experience or your talents or skills. Most of us in the room, all of us in the room, if we're humble, <laughs> would say, I don't think there's any reason he would call me or use me. I mean, if we could sit down a little bit, I could tell you about all the reasons why he shouldn't use me and why he probably couldn't use me. And so that applies to somebody else. But God can use anybody, my friends. Anybody that's open. Anybody that believes the impossible. Because he is that same God that is at work all around the world, all around you. And that same God wants to invite you on a journey. And not just so that you would have a, a personal relationship with God, as we often think of it, which means private relationship with God, but a personal relationship with God that affects every part of our person, all of the people, all of the places, all of our world, that God wants to intersect with and do something amazing, even when what we would say all the odds are stacked against us. When was the last time that you even considered that God wanted to use you in his work in the world. Again, I'm not naive. I know, I know my own life. Out of seven days, I don't know how many days I get up and pray that prayer. I don't know how many days I open my eyes. When I drive, I do. Thank you. Um, sometimes I do around coffee shops, walking in the neighborhood, restaurants, meetings. When was the last time I opened my ear to hear the whisper of God? Maybe I've got too much earwax in, right? I'm too clogged up. Maybe my heart, when was the last time my heart was really moved? I would like to say, and I honestly say it was last night. There was a cool encounter. I would like to say that I had one set up last night that didn't come to, okay, later on, hopefully. Yesterday I answered the phone and one set up for Monday morning, okay. I'm, I'm you know, I'm like, I'm praying. I don't know what's going to happen to any of those, but I'm ready. Okay, God. I just want to be used. When's the last time you just were so receptive to the move of God in and around you and through you that God would want to do something? 
Okay, back to the story. Mary then visits her relative, Elizabeth. We believe that James and, uh, I'm sorry, John and Jesus would have been cousins or close relatives. And so these gals are related. And she encounters Elizabeth. And in that moment, Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb. And if you know anything about John, that was the beginning of leaping and craziness with John the baptizer. And this is, this is what Mary says as she's greeted by Elizabeth. She says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained for about three months and returned home. So if you were to hang out on Mary's TikTok, this is what she'd be talking about. You know, little Instagram posts, she'd be writing like this. To which I think that's absolutely absurd. How could a young gal, a young person, have that huge a picture of God that so permeated her whole heart and soul and life that this is what comes out of her? I just think it's beautiful. It's, it's better than Shakespeare, friends. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely the moment a young girl says yes to God. Now, I want to read it over again because I think it's, it's amazing how in our culture, we're so biblically illiterate. I mean, I want to read it again, but I want you to think about this. Mary connected the dots. She connected the dots of God's sovereign plan. She connected those dots all the way back to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. She connected the dots of all the majesty of what God's doing all around the world with the high and the low. And she counts herself among those people. Let me read it to you again. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That just blows my mind that this young gal in this moment, she connects her life to the whole plan of God. When was the last time we did that, right? That we looked at our humble estate, our, our little life, and we thought about it in proportion to the eternity of the past, the seasons of life. I mean, Mary was steeped in the knowledge of God and his word. Who talks like that these days? Very few. But Mary, Mary was connected to the story of God. Now, I was in Israel uh, a number of years ago with my wife. I've done some trips, going to do one here this summer. 
And uh, on one of those journeys, one of our professors said this. He said, you know, there are no 30-year Jews, 30-year-old Jews or 30-year-old Palestinians, Palestinians living in the land. I'm like, what? She said, now everybody's 3,000 years old. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? They go, well, here's how it works. In the West, in the U.S., particularly, you know, in this high-tech culture we live in, we stand with our backs to the past and we face the future and we look ahead to what's next and we calendar out and we plan and we just project all these things for the future and we just kind of put the past behind us. But in that culture, even today, they stand with their backs to the future and they face the past and they know their history and that history directs their next steps. Uh, Ten years ago when we were on a trip studying the life of Christ, we wrapped it up and still had a couple days. I was doing some filming for a series of John, Gospel of John we were doing here. And last day we go shopping. And uh, I should say my wife went shopping. I was drug along. And um, she had seen this, this bracelet and she loved it and took pictures of it. And so we went to the shop and it was just down uh, the street there in the Jewish quarter. And, and um, I went in and, and uh, it was kind of fun. We just hung out and, you know, she went on the back journey. She w wandered around and I'm standing there. And so the shop owner, shopkeeper looks at me and says, hey, you want some tea? I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to be here a long time, you know. And he goes, you want the Wi-Fi password? I'm like, absolutely. That'd be a good use of my time. And then so we're talking a little bit. He goes, hey, you want to see the well? I'm like, well, that's, do I want tea? Do I want Wi-Fi? Do I want to see the well? I'm not connecting the dots. And so I say, sure. And he walks over and he takes me over to this part in the shop and there's a stone on the ground there and he pulls it back and he goes, that's the well. So, okay, I, I'll, I'll bite. I go, how long have you had that? He goes, 600 years since this shop was, was built. Like 600 years. And you're still drawing water from it? Absolutely. I go, how long has this shop been here? 600 years. He says, my, my family's owned it that long. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, my brother and I own it now. We're going to pass it on to our kids. 600 years? They connect the past just as readily as you and I connect next week. And they know generation to generation because it matters. That explains all the conflict in the Middle East, by the way, right there. <laughs> and that explains why we don't get it. Because they will tell you what happened 300 years ago and still hold a grudge. Mary connected the dots back to Abraham and, and into her own life, which blows me away. In humility, she saw her part of God's story being lived out. Do you connect your life back to God's story? Do you read the Bible? And in reading the Bible, you go, hey, that's like me. Or, hey, I'm an extension of this. You're like, nah, because I don't have all that stuff go on. But they were just normal people that God used. Do you see how important your life is in the story of God? I mean, it sounds almost arrogant to think that. But if you think about it, somebody shared the message with you. And somebody shared the message with them. And somewhere back in ancient history, it could have been Peter. could have been James or John. could have been Matthew, you know. Could have been Thomas. They shared the message because Jesus had shared the message. Do you connect your story back to the great story? And do you believe that that great story involves your 
seemingly little life. Uh, not long ago, a couple years ago, I took a DNA test. And every once in a while, I, I get an update. And they're like, hey, we discovered more of who you are. And um, here's who I am. Great Britain, uh, England, maybe northern England, uh, Scotland, Ireland, you know. It's like I'm, I'm as white as it comes, you know what I mean? And uh, not Scandinavian, okay, or I'd have blonde hair. But, um, you know, I get a notice. I'm like, oh, great, a little bit, great, great. I'm from that area, you know. Do you want to connect your DNA back further, like 2,000 years? It's to the disciples who heard on that hillside after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, that they were to go and they were to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to teach those new disciples all the things that he commanded and that he would be with them and he still is. And you, my friend, are connected to all of the people in between. I mean, friends, God's still at work in the world today. He is still at work in the world today. He's moving pieces around to accomplish his plans. And he wants to invite you to join him in that great adventure. I go back to Mary. She had her really nice life planned out, I'm sure. Everything was just on a good trajectory. She would have lived and died and nobody would have ever known her in a poor, small, blue-collar town of Nazareth 2,000 years ago. And yet somehow God stepped in to that moment and everything changed. I mean, she had no logical reason to believe that anything major was going to turn out except for the fact that the angel said, with God all things are possible. You know, I think... One of the things that when I think about this and I have conversations with people about this and maybe on some dark, depressing, rainy days, you know, <laughs> I might start to doubt that God would even be involved in the world, let alone involving me in his plan. It's probably because of fear. It's because of the unknown. I love to study. I was, I was watching a video, a series of videos on how rivers are created. And that, that's boring. I love it. It's like how they meander. And then it got me over this guy who made maps and charts of the Mississippi throughout all the generations. And then I got on another video. I was on YouTube, by the way. And then got on a video about maps and the old maps and ancient maps and how they made those maps and how cartographers would travel around and they would go along the shorelines and draw them. And some ended up being absolutely absurd. And some of them actually pretty uncannily accurate, Okay. Um, but as they made those maps and those ancient maps, the seafaring days, they would map out everything and they would put the islands and they would put the continents and they would put the boats. And then as they got to the very edge of the map, the unknown portions, they would put a little sea serpent <laughs> and they would say, here there be dragons. <laughs> you know, it's just like, why? Because we don't know what's over there and it sounds scary, so let's not get too close. Mary wasn't afraid of what was over there and it wasn't too scary, and it was very close. What would it look like for us to stomp out the fear in our life and head boldly in a direction that God is moving and God is working? Mary was in uncharted territory. Her ship was about to sail off the map, as it were, and she put her trust in the trustworthy God. Mary's uh, song, literally, it's a song, we call it, it's a poem. It's called the Magnificat, which comes from Latin, the first word there. And it's all about how God is magnificent. God is amazing. And it tells us of her great desire that God would magnify himself in her life and through her. Not that she would be magnified, but that God would be great. 
Again, friends, what would it look like to wake up, to drive through the day, to have an alarm go off at one o'clock and go, okay, God, I want you to be magnificent in my life today. I want you to be glorified. I want you to be magnified in my life. God, give me a moment where I can see, where I can hear, where I can feel your spirit moving. Somebody around me needs a touch of love. Somebody needs a whisper of truth into their heart right now. Somebody needs to hear about Jesus. Now we know Mary's story talks about the helpless and the hopeless and the hungry and the humble. And she just says, that's how God works. And anybody like that can be used of God. And of course, we know that Mary's story culminates in the birth of Jesus. We celebrate at Christmas time. And in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus and the work that's still being done by Jesus up in heaven, preparing a place for us and praying for us, her story continues on to this very day. And you can be a part of that story. You can become a follower of that very Jesus because that God is still passionately pursuing people today. The big question, though, the big idea question is, what would it look like to live every day believing God wants to do something big? That he wants to do something big and he wants to invite you to join him in his plans. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to experience a burning bush. <laughs> there was just one of those. You're not going to have the Red Sea parted. I've been there. It didn't part. I just went scuba diving. Okay. Um, my body parted it, which was, you know, a big parting. And um, you're not going to see 135,000 people destroyed by 300. That was just Gideon and some lamps and lanterns and stuff. And you're not going to see Jesus absolutely miraculously transfigured. Only Peter, James, and John got to see that. You're not going to see him walking on water. Just the few guys in the boat. His 12 guys got to see that. But I will tell you this. I've seen a lot of the hand of God. And I want you to see a lot of the hand of God. What would it look like for you to live every day believing that God wants to do something big that he wants to invite you to join him in his plans? I think a deeper question, though, should be asked is do you really believe that you can know God intimately and experience the joy of walking with him? Because if you don't believe that, then you don't get to experience him. You don't get to encounter him. You don't get to have him flow through you and do a great work. You know, I don't know if your belief in God is like a book. You open it up on Sunday and you read a section and then you close it and then the dust begins to gather the other days and then you open the book up and then you close it and your view of God is like a book that for the most part most days is closed but I'd rather you think of your life as a book and that every day God wants to write a page of the book an adventure as it were a great adventure because he's a great adventure in God and I don't believe that God ever writes boring meaningless pages in your life I believe God writes great adventures. He's the best novelist there's ever been. And in the middle of all of that, he calls it a masterpiece. Ephesians 2, remember that? He says that, that we are his masterpiece. We are his, literally his poem or his written down example of his creativity and beauty that he holds up as an example of his great grace. That that God of the Bible is still writing pages for your life. I don't know when the last page will be written, but I, I'll tell you this, I want every page to be filled with adventure and most of them are not. 
but I can look back on my pages and go, those were amazing times. And I want more amazing times. I've had the privilege of pastoring here at Sunrise 29 years, and I've seen God write some unbelievable pages around here. Absolutely mind-blowing pages, miraculous pages. And if you've been here just shortly, maybe Easter last week or six months or whatever, maybe you, you, know, you look around and you see all this stuff and you go, oh, that's kind of cool. They just started with that. No, no, no. The people that have been here all these years, they're part of those pages. And I, I was so excited, so proud last Sunday when this place was packed and Paul was preaching the gospel message. And he's been here a year now and he's the new pastor. And I'm sitting back thinking, man, it's been such a ride. What are the next years going to look like? I did a little thing. I, I was, I, my life insurance is ending and I love my wife, so I'm going to get more life insurance. And, um, and so I was looking on the actuary charts. I'm 58. I'm going to die at 83. I have 25 years left. Thank you very much. That was some black and white print right there. Okay. But I'm thinking 25 years. God, what can you do in 25 years? I want to be here in 25 years. I want to walk in these doors. And see 25 years of more of the miraculous pages of God written down. But that's only going to happen when his people, you, when you walk daily with him and encounter him and experience him and share that life. Connect those dots to the other people that have yet to know God. I'm reminded of Billy Graham. Uh, once he was asked in an interview, what are you going to ask God when you get to heaven? Here was this man's humble answer. I'm going to ask him, why did he choose me? Seriously? Yeah, why did he choose me? And if you read the story of Billy and his biography, it's that. It's why would God choose a guy like that? But I'll tell you what, according to the Billy Graham Association, in his lifetime, he preached the gospel to 2.2 billion people on this planet. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? 2.2 billion people. And... By their best estimates, 2.2 million people responded to the gospel call of Christ. 2.2 million. Man, I'd like 2.2 people come to Christ because of me, right? I'm not sure what a point two is, but I'll take it, you know. <laughs> How many people will have their dots connected to Jesus because of you? Two, 22, 220, I don't know. But it's only going to happen if you hear and see and feel the move of God. Friends, we don't follow religion. We follow a person, Jesus. Don't settle for just coming to church. When you open the pages of scripture, don't settle for just Sundays, them being on the screen. Daily, read and reflect and worship the Lord through prayer and amazing things can happen. Open your eyes. I'm reminded of that story in John 4 where Jesus is there at the well. He's exhausted and the, his disciples go in to buy food in the town of Sychar. And they go in there and, and, you know, meanwhile, this woman walks up and Jesus has this encounter with her. And she believes in faith that he's the Messiah. And so she runs back into the town. As she runs in the town, the guys are coming back with their, you know, happy meals. And, or maybe the Red Robin, they have steak fries, which is what I'm hoping for in heaven. Big bottomless steak fries. And, um, and they're coming out and they're kind of confused. And then Jesus is confused. What are you thinking about? And... Here's the deal, and this is super simple, but they went into the town looking for food, and guess what they found? Food. This woman went into the town looking for her lost friends, and that's exactly what she found, and they missed it. And so as they're streaming out of the city to Jesus, the village, 
Jesus says to the guys, lift up your eyes. The harvest is ready. I'm an example of a person that misses it sometimes. Are you with me? I keep my eyes too focused on my life, my plan, my day, my week. I think Jesus wants us to lift up our eyes, open up our ears to hear the Spirit, open up our heart to feel the Father's love for people all around us. Mary took a step of faith when all the odds were against her. And so one last time, what would it look like? What would it look like to live every day believing that God wants to do something big and he wants to invite you to join him in his plan? And don't for one second go, but you don't know me, I'm not important. I would look at you and say, you're right, you're not important. Neither am I. But God is big and he invites unimportant people into big work and because of that, it's important. (laughs) But you don't know me. I don't have, well, forget filling in the blank. I don't have it either. We're just people who have encountered a God that's alive and wants a relationship with us. And in doing so, he wants to invite us on a journey. The Apostle Paul says it this way, and here's the journey from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. He's sharing about the gospel. He says, and all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation means taking two people who were at war and now they become friends. Reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, God wants to use you so that somebody is reconciled. God wants to take you and have you grab the hand of someone who is at odds with God, at war with God, and grab God's hands, as it were, and bring them together. Why? Because that's exactly what Christ did for us. And now he has given us the message and the ministry of reconciliation. Friends, connect the dots. God wants to do something in the world today. He wants to do something around you today. He wants to do something in you and through you today. But you have to be able to see it. You have to be able to hear it. And most importantly, you've got to be able to feel the Father heart for the people that are hurting and broken. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your invitation. It's not an invitation to a set of facts. It's not an invitation to check a box. It's not an invitation to join a religion. It's an invitation to know you, to have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, the one who Mary was such a central part in because she was willing and humble to connect the dots. We now connect our dots back to her in faith. Lord, may we all be like that. This young gal who just said, be as it may, whatever you want, God. I'm a humble servant because with you, all things are possible. Father, move our heart to see and to hear and to feel in the areas you want us to move in this week. May you write miraculous, amazing adventures on the pages of our day as we lift up our eyes to see your activity in the world. As we get up out of the bed in the morning and just say, God, I want to be on a great adventure. Cause me to know, cause me to feel, cause me to hear, cause me to see what you're doing. God, you're a faithful God. You've done in the past and you'll do it today. Thank you for your son Christ who was born of that young lady. Because of her faith, we now have a faith. Because of her willingness and your willingness 
to die on the cross, we have a faith. Cause us to live that out this week, we pray in your name. Amen.